0: My name is Susie Can and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. The next part of the story that I've been reading brings our characters closer into conversation with each other and moves them closer into Jules's world as Rowan travels with her and joins in the edge of her community and begins to see and hear things that are going on for them. And Jules herself is getting deeper into what is lying ahead for her when she gets back home when I was imagining this I really was trying to contrive a journey for the reader to imagine a world that seemed first familiar in the city but that there's something in this worldview that the reader has that is not is clearly not quite the same as the city world that they know and that then as they travel through the countryside that it's a different countryside as well and that that idea of a journey into some different world and different worldviews and I was imagining that too for Rowan as the child who's stayed more with what was familiar in our world but because of the collapses and the transitions he's, he's had to begin to know something different whereas Jules has had a lineage where she's she's maintained a tradition and all of that kind of intersection. But I think I mean, I'll I'll read this now and we'll see what happens to them as they as they begin to dialogue with each other um from those different worlds and this kind of teaching story, I guess, that I'm conscious I was writing. In some ways it it I don't know how that affected that kind of too much intentionality I think can affect the real character development or the story development, so um, I'll see what you think as we continue on. Chapter 7 He awoke with flies buzzing and the rhythm of the wagon had changed. The horse had slowed and the road now rose steadily. He took time sitting up, checking himself, Then he rummaged around in the swaying wagon until he was able to light a lamp. He looked through his supplies and found some bread and cheese and a bottle of elderflower fizz he'd traded from the last village. He carried these out to the girl and sat beside her on the stoop. You know, I haven't asked you your name yet. It's Jules. How unnecessary names had seemed until now. It was strange, because as they were getting to know each other, the less she felt she knew him. It was as if before she met him, she knew him, and later, something she couldn't quite bring it to mind. Rowan, he was saying. She lost the thought. Rowan, she repeated. Mountain ash. Sorry? Your tree? The rowan mountain ash, it's a pioneer species of the hills. The red berries are great for jelly, if you can get them before the birds. Ah, right. He passed through the bottle of fizz. Thanks. Mmm. Elder, my favourite. That pleased Rowan, more than he could have explained. Yeah, I really like it. So, what else are you into? Jules wanted to know more about this Rowan, make sense of him, and what happened. Perhaps he held the clues. Well, You heard me mention the electronic bits I was trading. Yeah? Well, I guess that's something I'm into. I recycle them a bit and I put things together, mostly computers and stuff. I suppose you could say, I'm really into the interweb resurgence? No. She spoke before she realised and couldn't hide her disappointment. She was sure he was more like her, connected to nature voices. She'd felt that earlier in what she thought of as recovery camp. How could he be one of these virtual geeks like some of the boys in her village, always talking about resurgence? You you don't think it's necessary, do you? Rowan looked resigned. Look, I'm sorry. No, I don't. I don't get the idea of virtual connection with people or information. We can get that direct from people in our own communities, from traders like you, and so on. We had to learn how to relocalize everything after the collapses, to finally have a fair share of the planet's resources and ease and regenerate and repair all the damage to it. And There's so much in the real world. Surely the virtual one is just a bit of entertainment and sometimes even too disconnected and lame at that. She wondered if she'd hurt him. It had all come out too direct and very judgmental, she knew. She could never learn to talk in ways that she saw as inauthentic, but she knew she should learn some diplomacy. She glanced sideways at him. He didn't look upset, but she could tell he'd heard something like her arguments before. I don't know if I can explain, but to me it's more than that. And I believe it could be even more again. If the central funders would just allocate something to upkeep and maintenance. But surely you know when our grandparents' generation took back governance to the lowest levels possible, they only left central funders with national currency for completely indispensable services and negotiating global agreements. She sounded exasperated. Before she could go on, he replied, Yes, but they could keep the cables going and have some national servers. (sighs) She sighed at his obvious obsession with it and tried to be considered in her reply. But, you know, the Maslow Treaty, the one that came, the most important one after the final collapse, it didn't include interwerp web in the hierarchy of needs. People can maintain it locally and they do or you wouldn't have any access at all, but it's just not vital. It doesn't feed or house or clothes or offer healing. And we've rediscovered all the old entertainments, theatre and arts and crafts, all the artisan production, social gatherings, sessions. You have community cinema, right? In the, in the city. And even radio and local mentors and apprenticeships. People don't have the time or need to be vegetating in that cyberspace. She said enough. Best shut up. She tried to scold herself. The horse strained at the steeper incline. I think we should walk up behind Blackie, Rowan suggested and he hopped down, now nimbly, to the road. He steadied himself, feeling some strength returning. He started to walk as Jules joined him. He wasn't sure why. Normally, he'd have given up with someone at this point, justifying his affection for the interweb. But he felt determined to explain to Jules, something really important does go on there something about us evolving and developing our technologies not losing them to new ludditism he gestured to her to let him continue she nodded already restraining herself from interrupting go on she murmured though she hated the term the transition wasn't ludditism in her mind it kept appropriate technologies and even mainstream medical practices where they were necessary but it had sorted out the wheat from the chaff. All those primary questions of what we did really well and what we needed to fulfill them through much simpler and ethical ways, that was what her world was all about. It had been necessary at first because circumstances made many countries have to re-evaluate and make a transition for people. And there were people there with solutions even before the collapses began in earnest. So when the great turning happened, it had been like an avalanche, sweeping away so much what was old. It was weird to hear the old people even talk about it. How could she realise what it had been like in their childhoods, 80 or 90 years ago? The needless greed and the speed, the consuming, the climbing... So much competition, so little cooperation, and so unnecessary consumption. As one older person told her, nothing new under the sun. Sure, wasn't it like that with slavery? Continuing 200 years before his birth, or doctors or nurses smoking in hospital 50 years before his childhood, he told her. We all judge the past without understanding because we can't see it through their mindsets. It seems crazy and stupid to us, or cruel or unfair. Such disrespect for children. Such seeming emptiness. But if you'd have lived then, the old man had told her, your everyday life would pass as normal, to you and at least to most people. Rowan had been talking. She tuned back in. It looked like he was tiring rapidly on the hill but it was levelling off a bit. Rowan felt urgent that he explain more before they got to wherever they were going. But she hadn't seemed to be paying attention. That early bond they'd had, was it disappearing between them? He went on. On the interweb, even as the collapses were happening, our new ethics were being communicated, modelled and developed. It was part of what made the change possible and happened. She couldn't hold back. That was need. The crisis that made so many people look at each other and look to community and especially their old community members to create our new ways. They had to. The interweb just documented it. No. It shared and inspired ideas and spread them much more rapidly than would have been ever possible without it. It was modeling them anyway in the way that it was set up ever before the need. Cyberheads were working in non-hierarchical, self-organizing ways before the collapses. That's how the interweb itself was created. That helped us evolve and remember and figure out things from the open-sourcing and the sharing, and that made us have the evolutionary leap that we needed to survive. He was leaning heavily on the wagon for support now. Jules stopped the horse. Let's climb up again. It's easier going now. We're nearly in my village. Rowan climbed up with relief. Once they were settled again and the wagon was moving, Jules spoke, do you not remember learning about countries that took more time to overthrow their dictators? The more oppressed they'd been, the swifter the change came after the seats of power and the resource grabbing became impossible. Once people started taking care of the hierarchy themselves, the big corporations and those big dictator leaders couldn't touch them even with their military. I don't disagree with that, Rowan said, but the spread and development of ideas was viral through the net, he sighed. I think it was viral neighbor to neighbor, needs must. Do you think that before the net the idea that slavery was a bad thing could not have spread? Of course it did. And we can still have rapid change if the conditions and timing makes it happen. She felt something, at her last words, drifted off. Something almost prophetic concerning the two of them. But she just brushed it aside and tried to shut herself up again, once and for all. She could feel the distance growing between them. They were strangers, after all. Who could expect that they'd have anything in common? Her heart tugged in a different direction, but she wasn't able or willing to follow right now. Anyway, it's an impossible argument. You know, the interweb died a long time ago. It can't ever be the same again, she said, hoping to leave it there. But Rowan persisted. It never truly died, and you'd be amazed of how much of it is still there. It was built for a nuclear strike, you know. A lovely credential, Jules thought, but managed to hold her tongue. Rowan kept going. Yes, lots went wrong. Intermittent power supplies, until the locality had their alternatives up and running. That played havoc with servers, all the viruses and info-warrior groups were much harder to control. There was a complete chaos. But the new system is there. It's just leaner. But like any organism or ecosystem, it's reorganized itself. It's anarchic. The basic design is the same and the ethics are much clearer and more international too because of the whole world changes. You can actually see the ethics co-evolving; its total self-organization. And it was like I said, even at the height of the collapse, collapses it held up Latin mirror to show us in a better light. Because despite what the corporations were trying to do, enclosing all the parts of the interweb for business ends like commons enclosures, the altruism and the cooperation just kept going. Do you know that right before? The first of the collapses, there were 6.3 million music collaborations going on through all sorts of apps. And people were having interdisciplinary-focused think tanks with 8 million interactions every year. The stuff that came out of all of that was amazing. Do you remember hearing that a thing that my granddad talked about Couch surfing that went mad in the final collapses as all the young people just took off to see things in the world before they could, knew they wouldn't be able to, in the same way. My grandfather told me that his older siblings knew the adults couldn't keep up with their ability to communicate. They said that the way they went often bypassed the central controls as they were on the move all over the world, meeting and in person, but also online. And they've already been using all these different media. And the, remember, there was a thing called the Occupy movement. It confused the heck out of all those old dictator systems that who just didn't understand how there weren't leaders like they knew them. The old style of leadership was gone. All the rhizomal leaders popped up everywhere where they were needed in the network, Held strength like the web. It wasn't centralised. It inspired all our new systems. It proved you could do them. Not one size fits all, but each community organised for local conditions. Just like the interweb. He was tired and he couldn't explain much more. Anyway, it is happening again. There's a new collaborative interweb movement, and I guess that's what you'd say I'm into. She smiled at him. He had said one thing at the end that piqued her interest, something a little bit about the self-organizing like an ecosystem, but she smiled more because they were getting near her village. It was past midnight, and no one was out on the street except one old man with a dog. He looked up at them, and as they passed, he recognized Jules and Cav called after her. Your mother'll be right relieved to see you home. The gathering's tomorrow here. Yes, thanks, Bren, Jules called back to him softly as they continued through the sleeping village and out the other side. Jules could almost feel the curiosity in old Bren's eyes following after her and knew most of the village would have questions tomorrow. The road began to rise steeply again. Jules hopped down but told Rowan to stay. He didn't protest. It was awkward to talk, and they both relaxed. The rhythm of the hooves was complemented by a light breeze in the hedgerows and woods along the road, and the river was near again. Now it was narrower and faster, and it rushed noisily back the way they had come. The climb eased again, but they were still going up. Jules climbed back up, and Rowan made room for her. He passed her some nut brittle. They crunched amiably. Both found it surprising how easy silence was between them. Much easier than that talking was, for sure. But soon... Rowan broke it. Um, what about you, Jules? What are you into? Hmm. (laughs) well, I'm training as a healer herbalist, as I told you. I really like it. Well, my mother and her mother were folk herbalists and more before them, so there's a lot to learn. What exactly does a folk herbalist mean? Jules looked at him in surprise. But there are lots all over. Aren't you treated by them in Dublin? Yes, of course, but most are called nurse practitioners with specializations. I I don't think I've heard the term folk herbalist. Oh, well, it goes back to the earliest herbalism, coming directly from the plants. He looked at her quizzically. Well, different from medical herbalists and books on herbalism, folk herbalists get their knowledge through direct connection. Nothing virtual about it. He looked at her, but she smiled teasingly. What do you mean directly? He looked at her, sensing she was a bit reluctant to explain. But like he'd been earlier, she looked determined to try. We talked to the plants. He opened his mouth but said nothing. We go into a trance state and the plants come to us as visions and tell us how to use them and for whom. This means all the remedies are specific to the person. You can't just prescribe a one-size-fits-all herb dose and duration. That's what old medicine did and what a lot of medical herbalists do as well, which is fine, but... Sometimes, the best way to learn new ways that plants can heal us is to have a diverse medical and herbal and wild plant garden spend time touching and tasting and even sucking on a seed before planting it and making sure that you're tuning in to what time of year and cosmic time and all these things together they're they're harder to explain but All the remedies that you have are then there and at hand and we're more tuned in to them and they to us and they don't hardly even need us as intermediaries. She paused and looked at Rowan, giving him space to respond. He could say nothing. He was dumbfounded and she'd clearly thought he was the one who was nuts when he tried to explain the possibilities of the past and future of the Imperwed. What on earth was she on about? He tried to think of a question that wouldn't betray his thoughts. That's very interesting, was all he could manage. They lapsed into silence. It was hard for either of them to stay awake now, and they would periodically nod off and jerk awake as they slid some side to side or forwards or backwards. Jules slipped inside, and brought them some blankets to wrap around themselves. We're nearly there, she said. The blankets made sleep even more seductive, but Jules managed to ward it off long enough to be awake to turn the horse into her own lane. She drifted and came to just as the horse stopped by the sheds. She climbed down and unharnessed it and led it into the back meadow. It would find good grazing, water, and a well-earned rest there. She went back to the wagon. Rowan was sitting, barely awake, leaning on the door jam. Go to bed, she called. I'll see you in the morning. He climbed into the wagon and pulled the door shut and fell into the press bed, blankets still wrapped around him. Jules walked over and snuck in, tiptoeing as she went to the back door. It was no use. Her mother was sitting by the fire. I heard the horse and wagon on the lane. I've been worried, Jules. I know, Mum, I'm sorry. I had to go, and... Well, I did find someone, and he was hurt, and... Hurt? Where is he? Have you left him by himself? Mum! Jules shouted... All the emotion bubbling up in her and she found herself reverted to the child she was trying to leave behind. Don't you trust me? Isn't my own womanhood supposed to come to me this very evening? How could you think I would leave him outside if he was critical? I would like you to look him over tomorrow, for your wisdom and experience is deeper than mine. But her lip trembled and she fought anger at herself for it. I saw you just now out the window. Her mum hesitated to say more. Look, thank spirit You're home, Jules. Let's not argue about this now. I'm sorry, of course I trust you. The telling of what went on these last days with you will have to wait until after the ceremony. It's past three. Get to bed and I'll not wake you until the last possible moment but you have to spend at least an hour in your place to call the old stories to yourself and prepare for the ceremony. You know it's at noon. Good night, love. She came forward and gave Jules a hug. Thanks, mum. Jules still felt like weeping, but she just turned and headed into her own comfy bed in the attic. That had been horrible with her mum and she hated Such a rush of emotion could seem to come out of her out of nowhere. She wondered why sometimes she just couldn't stop herself. She'd been so annoyed by her mother, and then her mother had said all the right things and made her feel so young and hopelessly immature. She wiped her face. She felt calmer now. She sat up and started to rearrange the pillows she'd flung off her bed earlier when she'd first come up the stairs. She liked to have her pillows and the little cushions she made herself in her own special way. The window drew her attention and she looked out at the night sky. She was taken aback by the image of the huge moon rising over the hills and reflecting on the distance water. For a moment she stood transfixed and her mind worked idly at the time's The moon had gone through its cycle from dark to full to dark again and again. Her imagination wondered to all the people who might have stood in the spot she was looking up at this same moon. She thought of ancient villages with carts and horses and fishing boats coming in with their catch. But even further back, firelight And circles of people huddling to get warm, maybe singing strange songs to the moon. In each of her images, she saw a young woman like her and thought about how the moon must have watched over them when they were upset or singing and dancing. She remembered all her mother had taught her these last months about women's connection to the moon. But tonight, She truly began to feel it, as she was so sleepy. She climbed back into bed, getting under the covers, just how she liked feeling safe. The moon shone on her, and some words drifted to her, without thinking. She whispered a prayer. Goddess moon, you've watched over all, woman. Watch over me. And then she slept. The dream started with a feeling of threat. She was feeling watched in a dark woods. She was angry, but she didn't know why. Then she was running, running through the woods, brushing past twigs and thorns that seemed to pull at her. There was an unknown shadow behind her. Suddenly, she burst into a clearing and there was a brilliant light coming from the center. She looked there, and there was a woman at the center of the silvery light. She approached. The woman spoke. Welcome. Do not be afraid. I can chase away any shadows. I am the essence of all woman. Goddess of the moon. She was lovely. Pale, clear skinned, and her dress flowed and shimmered around her. The moon goddess spoke again. This is a special night for you, because it marks the change. What change, she asked, feeling some dread. It's part of the turning of the wheel of life. It turned when you were born, and it will turn again now as you leave childhood and become a young woman. Don't worry. Many have gone on this journey and I will introduce you to my sisters who guide all girl children at this time whether they remember it or not Soon you will join the moon circle and its journey round and round Since you were born you have been going in a line like a long road growing to adulthood but now you will change and you will follow the circle like nature does in the cycle of the year and the moon does in the cycle of the month. Follow me. Jules walked behind the moon goddess until they came to a round house with a thatched roof. They went inside and a woman sat by a silver pool open to the sky through the circle in the roof. She was dropping red and white rose petals into the pool, and they floated round in a spiral. She is measuring time from dark moon to white, Lady Moon said before she could ask. Women measure time by the moon. Men do it by the sun. As they went out of the house, the moon above them had begun to change. She looked at her hands and was holding white roses that were slowly changing to red, as if someone had put dark red ink on them with a dropper. She felt a sharp pain in her finger and looked down, and saw she'd pricked it on a thorn. A drop of blood formed, and the goddess touched it with a white handkerchief. You're tired now. You must rest. She did feel tired, and sank to the forest floor. Time passed. She felt the moon changing. It was time to get up. She felt energy returning. Suddenly, she was on her feet, running in the forest, and there was another young woman. There were animals running alongside them, too. She saw a doe, a rabbit, birds flitted through the trees, following them. It came to a halt by a small stream with reeds growing nearby. The woman started to make something from the reeds. It looked like a cross. Suddenly she recognised it. It's a Bridget's cross, she said. The young woman spoke. Yes, in some times that's what I've been called. You can use my older name again. I am Breed, and my cross is the symbol of the four quarters of the moon. I am the spring maiden the time of new beginnings. I come after the last cycle was completed and I start again, fresh, new, clean. I am young and I can look after myself because I know what I want. As she watched her, Jules wished she felt as confident as Breed and could think as clearly and be as independent. They walked on together in what seemed a purposeful direction. But suddenly Jules was alone again, but she found she could stride on now, more purposefully. I know where I'm going, she said out loud. The woods seemed to be disappearing. The moon goddess and Breed were there, and not there, as the moon appeared and disappeared, with the clouds and the woods thinning overhead. It was changing again. Following the moon goddess's gaze, she saw another woman who sat on a mound with the small woodland creatures and flowers all about her. For a second, Jules thought it was her mother. The woman's hair flung over her face and she looked down at something tiny on her lap. It was not her mother, but everything about this woman made her think mother. The tiny creatures seemed to be multiplying all about her, and new flowers bloomed every second. The woman spoke, and her voice was kind and gentle. It made Jules want to cry and curl up near the woman and be cuddled like she did when she was young. These are my many children, and my idea children. Each are hatched and nurtured by me to become the creative energy of the world. All around her were pictures and music, birds and butterflies, damson flies and dragonflies, hundreds of different bees, flies and spiders spinning, dancing in the air, ever-forming patterns and new patterns. She felt she was seeing love woven in the air, Around them all. What is your name? She asked. You can call me Mahardulra or Mother Nature. Jules seemed to stay in her company a long time, feeling deeply nurtured. Something was coming towards them from a valley below. It was a rider on a fast horse. She watched the approach and then the mother was gone when she looked back, she felt afraid again. Was this some warrior coming? She could see long red hair. It was another woman. She heard a whisper from the moon goddess. Just another sister of mine. Do not fear her, even though she is powerful. The horse stopped, and the woman invited her up behind. She couldn't resist, and soon they were thundering back across the valley. I am Granya," the woman called back to her. Some have called me Pirate Queen. Jules hung onto the back of the strong leather tunic embroidered with beautiful patterns and designs. She thought she could make out hawks and a she-wolf. Gráinne had rings of gold and silver on her arms and round her neck, and a band of gold around her hair. She had a knife tucked in her belt. Even if you have some fear, don't let it stop you doing what you want in life. Granya yelled back at her as she took the horse to what seemed impossible speeds and then stopped again. So fast this time, they brought up a vast dust cloud around them. Feel the strength, Granya said. Jules could feel the power of the mare ripple through every fibre as she stood, still, thrilled with the run that they had all been on. Jules laughed to feel it, and it was as if she felt the power of all female animals, proud and fierce, protective like the fox of her kits and the eagle of her eerie. The horse whinnied, and Granya laughed too. The sea was now stretched in front of them, and a boat waited on the shore. "'Slawn!' said Granya, as she jumped aboard and the wind picked up and the waves broke along the sides as she left the shore. Jules stood for a while, looking after the departing boat. Granya never looked back once but faced into the wind and horizon. When she couldn't see her anymore, Jules walked along the stony beach and up towards the headland. There was a cave, and she thought she could see smoke. When she got there, a large black pot boiled in a tripod over a fire. There was a wooden bowl, a gnarled and twisted spoon. The night had darkened again and the moon was nowhere in sight. The fire drew her near, and the bowl was so enticing she filled it from the pot and sat. Just as she was about to take a sip, she realized someone was watching her. She jumped, a silver-haired old woman, moved out from the nearby cave and offered her a spoon. Jules couldn't help herself. She asked, Are you a witch? A moonbeam penetrated the cave, and Jules felt the moon's blessing on this woman, who stepped out of the silvery smoke. You have turned the circle to its end. This is the last of my sisters. Some call her witch, but she is a white witch, a wise woman. She doesn't often speak, but when she does, it's worth listening, Jules heard. They sat together by the fire, sipping from the bowls, watching the red glow of the embers and feeling the heat. At last, the woman spoke, I am Kalyak. I am also your ancestor, Judith. A portion of your name is for me. You come from a long line of wise women, Jules. Remember, symbols are metaphors and stories have meaning, but no one can interpret your dreams for you. It's up to you to listen to your inner wisdom, and someday you'll be like me, better than me, wiser. Now, finish up your soup. It'll all begin again in the morning. Jules felt confused, but did what she was told, and soon curled up by the fire. She felt as if she was melting into the sand and clay. She felt seeds germinate and forest grow up around and through her. The moon goddess watched over her, and she slid into a deep, deep sleep. Yet Jules knew she was back in the clearing now with the goddess, and the full moon Shining down in her, she felt secure, part of the earth, with the sky and the moon above. The goddess whispered, always find a safe place to come when you need it. You can come to this sanctuary anytime. The dream faded, and morning came. Jules couldn't drag herself awake even when her mum came and pulled the covers off her. Her mum was looking at her with a tender smile on her face. Her mum went out and came back carrying something. Remember, we spoke about this, she said. It's your time. Here are the things you need. I'll see you downstairs. Call me if you need anything else. Welcome. To womanhood, my dear daughter. Jules moved to the edge of the bed and suddenly understood what her mum had said and given her. She headed to the bathroom, arranged things as she'd been told she would need to. When she was all sorted out, she came downstairs. Her mum met her in the hall and circled her with her arms and whispered. Don't be afraid. Her mum was saying you're part of the circle now, just as I told you. Don't worry, mum. Jules croaked, I'm not. And as she closed her eyes in her mum's embrace, she thought about the moon from last night and smiled because she had thought it was like a perfect egg. After that moment of quiet, all hell broke loose. They entered the kitchen full of women, cooking and preparing and talking and organising, all for her special day. Rowan woke up in the wagon, to the sound of women's voices talking in excited tones as they passed nearby on a lane. He heard someone comment on the wagon, yeah, I hear tell she's been there since last night. She was passing through the village and that art the boy and that in the wagon. Well, that's his maybe, but she's back in time, any. He? he rose and felt the back of his head. It still ached and he was stiff all over. He stretched and looked for some food, which he was going to stay inside to eat, but he had to venture out for a pee first. He looked around, what seemed to be a simple, but well-kept homestead. He was parked in an orchard, which was planted underneath, with berries. Each tree had a ring of comfrey or mint. He peed on the comfrey near him, and greeted the horse, who was looking very content, just across in the meadow, munching away on rich herbs. Then he quickly got back into the wagon, as he heard more voices coming up the lane, and the sound of bicycles and a cart, he thought. He stayed inside for the rest of the morning, sorting out the mess that the lads had left in their futile search. He was pleased that they'd only disturbed the store of goods in each compartment, not finding his secret box bolted under the wagon where he kept the electronics. A knock on the door startled him. He hadn't heard anyone approaching. "'It's only me and my mum,' Jules called." Mum. He had time to think before he opened the door and looked into two very similar faces, only one older than the other. Jules wanted me to check up on you. The mother was saying. She told me what happened. I'm I'm fine, really. Just a bit stiff and sore. Thanks, though. He added as an afterthought, not wanting to appear rude. We've brought you some soup. She continued, as the two of them had stepped in the wagon and found perches on the side bench. They looked at him expectantly, and with almost the same measure of curiosity, he felt completely exposed. Thanks, he said, again, taking the earthenware jar of soup and setting it on the Queenie stove. Could my mum just look at your head? Jules asked. He nodded, more for something to do than for any other reason. It was very awkward, but he didn't have a clue what was really next for him, he assumed He should just really leave after they were done, but he felt surprisingly reluctant when he thought of that. Jules's mother poked about at the back of his head and said, It's hard to tell, but that cut looks quite deep. We should really get it cleaned up more and see if it needs a stitch. She was muttering as she came back around him, but Rowan could see she was very distracted by the way she kept looking at the door. It's just we have a ceremony this evening and Jules should be away to prepare soon. If you could come over to the house I can give it a clean and have a better look. He started to protest, but weakly. He knew because it was giving him a reason to stay a bit longer. Jules' mum started to go. Then she turned and put her hand out to him suddenly. I'm Missy. Rowan, he said as they shook hands formally. She called to Jules when she was outside. I'll be there in a sec, mum. I'll bring him over to the house and then I'll head off to. she trailed off. Okay, her mother called, but hurry. Jules sat looking at Rowan. Are you really all right, she asked. Yeah, I think I really am, he said, just realising it for himself. His shock and fear seemed to have dissipated and he was beginning to feel more himself again, if in a strange environment. Jules leapt down from the wagon and beckoned him to follow. She started talking in that rapid way she seemed to have when she was nervous. It's it's my rite of passage today into womanhood, yeah, and I suppose you've heard of them. It's like your passage journey. Rowan said he had heard of them, but the ones he knew about in Dublin were basically a kind of party for a woman. He asked her was it the same for her somehow knowing there would be more to it. Well, my people have an unbroken lineage of these ceremonies, you see, so there's quite a lot of tradition. First I have to go off alone. Where to? I guess it's okay to tell a boy. He felt insulted by the inference, but continued listening. I can't tell you where it is, but each girl chooses a special place to spend time over a time of months when her mother perceives she'll soon be fully woman. I've got to go back to mine today. I'd better hurry. They reached the back door together. Missy came out, carrying an elaborate-looking bundle, which she's handled to Jules and whispered something in her ear. Rowan felt he was intruding, but had nowhere to go. Jules turned to go, but suddenly, as if she'd just remembered something important, she cried out, Great spirit, Dad! I forgot to ask with everything else, is he back? Rowan saw her mother's face fall. No, love, I'm sorry. I'd hoped you would ask after the ceremony and that you would just think he was staying away with the men. I don't want you to worry. I'm sure he just had to put into port somewhere because of the offshore storms. You know how he is. Jules was looking very vulnerable. And Rowan wished he could say something, but he hadn't a clue what to ask or to offer. Oh, Mum, but what? Now, Jules, positive thoughts, and those should be most focused on yourself for the next while. So off you go. Go. Rowan watched as Jules reluctantly again moved up, heading off course of the little stream that ran past the house. Mizzy beckoned him inside which he immediately regretted as the woman filled the kitchen all around him. Most of whom seemed to have been taking a break over mugs of tea and so stopped to quiz him about who he was and all that had happened. One of the older women looked at him intently and then declared, You've not completed your passage. You have not completed your passage so you may stay with the young mothers and boys at the southern side of the ceremony space and watch Jules enter the circle of women. Rowan tried to hide his reaction, as he noticed did mizzy, but another woken spoke out. Are you sure, Mella? He's obviously very close, more than halfway to his passage. Rowan tried to nod agreement, but the older woman spoke vehemently. I said he can stay and I have my reasons. However ever close he is not yet a man and he has more to learn. Rowan was fuming beneath the surface. He felt humiliated and was glad Jules wasn't there to witness it. But he knew his curiosity would get the better of him and he'd be kicking himself if he didn't get to watch the ceremony. Thank you, that's very kind, I'll stay well back and try not to make a nuisance of myself. He tried to sound light-hearted. After that, Missy had washed his head. Various opinions had been offered on the cut by the women, but in the end, she'd simply put honey in a light covering and said it would heal up fine, free of infection, in a day or two. He was shown out to a clear area on the other side of the house with a flattened patch of grass with a central circle of stones and four smaller circles spread out in a cross around it. They left him to wonder, but told him not to cross the ceremonial space, but that he could rest or explore nearby. Things would not get started for a while yet. Some younger boys were under a large tree on the other side of the flattened area. So he walked towards them, still stewing on being called a boy, but knowing not where else he fit. There were no men in sight. That's where I'm going to stop for this episode of the story of Jules and Rowan, and listening to myself and listening back over this part of the story, I'm struck by how very pedagogical my approach to writing was at the time and how I really wanted to explore these edges between our current technological world and the older world of wisdom traditions and indigeneity and knowledge that comes from a different source, a kind of inner known. And it is that idea that people talk about in terms of East and Western medicine, where you have Eastern medicine coming from an inner tradition, which seems to me anyway now to be more connected to those older wisdom traditions, but also where we do live, where we are now, and some of the benefits that come out of Our modern medicine, being able to do surgery, being able to do things that were unimaginable with the technology we have to our disposal now. But because of my concerns that are playing out in the world now about something that early environmentalists, early social commentators and people like Murray Bookchin we might talk about on another thread, who wrote about social ecology, the kinds of consequences of not living in more relationship with the natural world have already begun to play out in our world. And I think at the time, I didn't have as much evidence as is now more apparent to everyone in the world. At the moment, we're going through this heat wave that is in Ireland, but elsewhere in the world is causing massive fires. There's been incredible flooding in Europe. But all these things are only being felt recently in the Northern Hemisphere. They've been felt for a long, long time in the Southern Hemisphere. And so those kind of feedback loops from nature... And our disconnect, I wanted to write about what it had been like and what would it potentially be like if we make it out of the crises that are converging in our time. And it seems to me like it's going to have to be a real sorting out like Jules is talking about, where we sort out what do we actually need, not what can we have. And what do we want? But what do we actually need as human species on the planet? And that sorting means taking a step back from the unnecessary technological advances that we've made simply because we could. Like at the moment in this year, there's been those that have concentrated super amounts of wealth into such tiny fraction of the human population. And they're talking about a a sort of rich person's space race for personalized travel to space in some imaginary future off-world where this world becomes uninhabitable for humans and that we create other worlds, and that's in a lot of the sci-fi imagery, but also is the divide and the social divide of who gets to be saved and who doesn't. And so I think when I was writing i was I was already exploring those ideas of what is necessary, and then, at the same time it's it's that although those of us who live in a Western culture have maybe a romanticized view of our ancestors, our past, or of existing remaining indigenous tribes, indigenous peoples of the world that live in the least disturbed indigenous lives, which there are very few of those left at all. We, But we have a, a romantic view of their connection to nature and their understanding of their world. But I think that that's a very simplistic understanding of this is our world. We live in this technological one. And I think I was having at the time young adolescents who were getting to experience the dawn of the the sort of digital natives, the kids totally connected to their world through the internet, through the ability to share. and And I think that I knew a lot of parents when I was writing this novel. I knew a lot of parents who Saw that as the first sort of you know swing away from it, the first kind of panic about this is not doing them any good, and how could this be good and there's still of course, many parents with those kind of concerns about addiction and dopamine and the kinds of exploitations that social media preys on in order to sell things through the internet in order to sell advertising, but I think that. It's never that black and white when something evolves. And what I now even know more about, and this is something that I could explore if I ever did do a rewrite of the novel, is the amount of connection that young people have been able to make with each other around the world to find out that rather than, say, a child growing up and being different than their culture. So a queer child in the modern world may be living in a culture where any form of queerness is suppressed or undiscussed or or doesn't have a space within society that the young people can find each other even through game playing, through conversation, and they create communities that are completely without boundary of nation state and without boundary even of culture and sometimes without boundary of language because the common language is becoming English and they can communicate through Google Translate anyway so that there's a flow through the internet of ideas and that might have been something that I would have could have included you know, that I was trying to write from Rowan's perspective about the anarchic nature of the internet and the way in which it too is playing out as being attempted and successfully enclosed as in the commons by the big early adopters of the internet space, Google and Facebook and so on. But that at the same time as that the Internet itself remains a commons and is not owned by any one individual corporation or nation state. And so, you know, just trying to imagine its next evolution, seeing the development of the open source world from its beginnings in shareware on disks then onto the Internet and the free softwares being developed by technical people with spare capacity and a lot of passion for their coding and creating of Linux systems and Drupal systems and other systems that are not part of the same commercial world and that are driven and created collaboratively. And there are new versions of those kind of cooperatives. And then also the sharing of knowledge. And like when we were a few years ago visiting another country we were we got to pass through a part of Russia and we were speaking with a Russian woman and she, we were asking her what had changed since the time of the Soviet Union and, and in her lifetime. And she said, well, one thing is that the flow of information was severely controlled by the Soviet governance structures Whereas now she says, even though things might not be going well in some parts than other parts, that there's more access to what is going on because of the kinds of freelance people, citizen journalists sharing stuff through different platforms. And if there was, when we were with her, there was protests in Moscow that weren't being reported on any mainstream media, but yet they were being reported through channels she could access, and I saw the same thing happening in Ireland. Interestingly, during the gay marriage referendum, that there was person-to-person exchanges and networks being developed amongst particularly young people, like Jules imagines and wants to imagine that there are word-of-mouth connections and real solid connect authentic relationships. But at the same time, some of those were being developed by the internet ability to to communicate and connect and tell stories that weren't all being told. And so, because I had young people in my life at the time with their friends, driving them in a car somewhere, on the radio, in the mainstream media, I was hearing one narrative, which was a very interesting one, about older people who had come out lately or had never come out, but were coming out at the time of the gay marriage referendum and talking about their experiences in a kind of purging of the past and the trauma and telling the story of what it was like to have been realized they were queer growing up in Ireland at the time I was growing up as well. But in the back of the car and on the social media my young people were talking about, there was an entirely different shared narrative where they weren't really looking back at all to the past nor paying attention to that. They were just making the assumptions about the new Ireland they wished to live in. And that new Ireland that they wished to live in was one where anyone who chose to get married to each other could do. And that it was something that that was definitely supported by their sharing of practice around the world, sharing of information, and then particularly the big call to come home and vote and the young people that, again, drove that, although it was people of all ages who traveled, there was a lot of that wouldn't have been possible without the kinds of internet connectivity. So it's kind of what I was exploring in the conversation that we hear between Jules and Rowan about their two different worldviews and their polarity about what is the most important thing and what Rowan dreams of and what uh, Jules is living. And then I finish that by coming back into Jules's world more fully and her magical realm and her magical dream world and the story. And that I I adapted a large part of that um, dream that Jules has about coming into womanhood and having her first menses. And from what I knew about the kinds of cycle of the year and the Celtic representations of women through a year and the different energies of cycle through a month, but uh, I actually... Had read a story that I haven't been able to find the source of the credit. Somebody gave it to me many years ago on a photocopy. I think it was called The Awakening, if anybody knows of that and where, who wrote it and where it came from. But in the, in that version of the story, the, there were, there were women that were associated with this cycling and it was about young women coming of age. But all of the characters in that story were Roman goddesses and wrote, I think Venus was maybe in it and there might only have been one goddess and or, or over traveling through her lifetime in different ages. And I wanted to blend stories that I had heard and knew of for trying to imagine for me what it would have been like if I came from a long lineage of earth-connected women and wanting to create something like that for the women uh, going forward. And and I did. I was part of a women's circle at the time. And we created a welcome to womanhood ritual for young people coming onto the stage of leaving childhood. And we, we really didn't do something that is going to come too much into the story there'll be maybe little elements of that but one of the things that we did before we created a kind of a party for our younger um, people to come and join the circle of women if they wanted and we had flowers and cake and crafts and so on but before we created that we actually spent a night in a teepee that was put up on our farm and we had conversations with each other about what it had been like for us. And we would have all been people coming into our, from childhood to womanhood in the seventies and for some people in the eighties and for one woman, I think in the, in the late sixties and the different, we shared what that was like. And, and, and one of the things that was very striking for all of us was, the taboo and the religious overlays that were really, really strong about what could and couldn't be talked about, what power of women was like, what was deeply embarrassing in terms of cycles for young women and and also what was just ignored or not talked about and 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 figured out by ourselves in finding books and so on and I think. One of the things that I had had one friend, not in that circle of women, but who had tried deliberately when her girls were younger to have a different experience and to not, to like not make this subject matter of a girl having her first menses to be taboo at all, but to be something that wonderful and celebrated. And I also had read different rituals that I loved to hear about, about. Uh, the Lakota tribe who had a young woman in a white buckskin cloth that walked down through the village and was used. They used a, a earth, a red earthen mud that then was smeared all over her and the white buckskin. And just this like recognition of the fertility of a young woman coming into Menzies. So yeah, my friends, uh, told her husband that her, daughter had had her first period and he came home and brought her a bunch of flowers and and sort of congratulated her. And that had really struck me when we were sitting in this tent together talking about our experiences as women that very few of us had had something that was celebratory. It was more helped perhaps by our mothers or in some cases ignored, But there wasn't really a celebration. So that's where we're headed next in the story. But before I got there, that's why I wanted to have this dream that Jules has, where she's entering something that is mystical and magical and wonderful and puts her into this cycle of life with other women that have gone ahead of her. So we'll see if where that goes next but one last thought uh, that as I've been revising this in my mind when reading about it one of the, the things that's changed is that the I was talking before about the potential for the characters in this to not be so binary to not have boy and a girl you know a woman and a man because that if I was to rewrite it that would be a much truer reflection of what is true for young people in the world today and definitely true for young people around my circles and my children's circles where it would be really interesting to have explored the notion of a child deciding what what ritual and what gender they'd like celebrated at a particular moment and maybe the possibility of multiple genders and mixed understanding of of those energies and less societal imposition of roles and, and genders. And maybe especially because I was hearkening back to past indigenous wisdom in this, that there was so much of that richness in indigenous culture where there was so many more genders in many cultures in the past and much more fluidity and niches and yeah, acceptance and, and all of that as finding your identity within your community. That's something else that if I was going to revise it, I might look at how to develop those characters in a completely different way.